Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 36 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brenda Karen, and this month I'm up to some old tricks. We're diving back into some history. We're going to be getting good and salty, and I've invited my podcast senpai, the fabulous host of BS Free Witchcraft and lover of stylish wool caps, Trey Dorn, to join me for a chat. If you're not following BS Free Witchcraft on your favorite podcatcher, please do and make sure you're showing that love to the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. But first, a few quick announcements. Sunday, July 9th from noon to 5 p.m., I will be at the Crystal Witch Market at Triple Crossing Brewery on Hatcher Street in Richmond, Virginia. This is another spectacular event run by the good people of River City Witch Markets, and it is the perfect place for any of my witches who love shiny rocks, and I know you do. There will be quite a few vendors there with everything from jewelry to carvings to raw crystals and lots more. That place is going to sparkle from top to bottom. And when you're finished your shopping, you can grab a drink and a bite to eat and relax in the brewery's tasting room and lounge. Make sure you check out the River City Witch Markets page on Facebook for details, directions, and a full calendar of events for the year. If you can't make it to the market, you can always find my wares in the Willow Wings Witch Shop. I've just restocked all the powders and added a limited run of Heal Thy Heart powder, perfect for any emotional healing spell work you might want to do. You can also find lots of show-related merch like stickers, t-shirts, mugs, and tote bags on the Hex Positive Redbubble shop, so make sure you check that out. And you can now follow the show on YouTube for video versions of each episode. I will link everything in the show notes. So, now that that's out of the way, let's get into it. Margaret fucking Murray. (laughs) Yes! That bitch. All uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, it, as the groaning might indicate, this is something that you and I have had to uh, untangle on a number of occasions that we've had to sort of talk to people about and uh, debunk from time to time. I know you you had uh, quite a, a little mini tiff on, on TikTok a while back uh, with uh, just someone who was very insistent that, you know, Murray deserved more credit. Oh, my God, that it, it guy. Was, he just it was just kind of like, it was like the thing that wouldn't shut up. Oh, it, was, it was laughable, really, but also it was just like, really? Yeah, this, someone this has just, nothing this, better to do. But also, also, here's my personal thing about TikTok. If you have enough of an idea or opinion to write 20 comments in my comment section like like in a row and i'm not exaggerating (laughs) turn on the camera 
Yes. Like that's that's the whole point of the platform, right? If you have like comments are for short responses, long responses, go in a video. That is the point of the platform. If you are not comfortable responding to things in that context, perhaps you are on the incorrect platform. But like, because I am not, I can't respond in a video to that many comments, like because I can't yeah. give the viewers the context and I can't write out a response. I, I do not have the time or the thumb dexterity to <laughs> respond to that in character limited com- the, the the comments are character limited for a reason. Yeah. Perhaps take that as a clue to use brevity as your watchword. Mm, instead of literally uh, 15 of them. Yeah, no, oh my god. It, it was just like, so got, this, frustrating. This is a conversation that was like this needed to happen on Tumblr or somewhere right. else that somewhere where, where I can use a keyboard. Yes, yes, and where like sources could be linked. Yeah, <sighs> because this was a person who, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. So uh, to be fair, a it does seem sometimes that some people's hatred of Margaret Murray has more to do with uh, her her gender, and don't lay any blame at her predecessors. And I can understand that argument. However, Margaret Murray uh, vastly popularized these awful ideas in a way that no one really had successfully done so before. And exactly. so it, it really – is she to blame for the idea existing? Maybe not. Is she to blame for its persistence and availability in popular culture? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... <laughs> it's down to her that it was in the damn encyclopedia. It's kind of World War One's fault, but yeah. Well, I mean, there's that. <laughs> there is that. Historical context matters, everybody. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. Still. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <sighs> All right, so we should... Speaking of historical context, we should probably get into... Uh, exactly what we're talking about, because there will be plenty of time for us to be salty about what Margaret wrote and what effect it has had on the modern occult community at large and specifically the modern witchcraft movement. So who the hell is Margaret fucking Murray? Well, I mean, she was an Egyptologist. Uh... So, Sort of. <laughs> Margaret Murray, um, born in 1863 in Calcutta, British-occupied India, um, was uh, – the, the Wikipedia byline is an Anglo-Indian Egyptologist, archaeologist, anthropologist, historian, and folklorist. The first woman to be appointed as a lecturer in archaeology at the United Kingdom and – in the United Kingdom, and she worked at University College London from – 1898 to 1935 and served as the Folklore Society president from 1953 to 1955 and published widely over the course of her career. Which, you know, on on a, a standard level, that is impressive. I mean, she was educated in yeah, as much and- as, you know, they actually understood certain bits of history at that time. You know, we we always are learning more and we we never know what we don't know. So there's that. So yes, she's educated. Yes, she's widely read. She's widely traveled as well. She went everywhere. And uh, yeah, yeah. And she held a, uh, a, a, a position 
with an, uh, a historical institution, um, which I believe was rare for a woman to hold at the time, if yes. I'm reading my yeah, history if, correctly. And she was she was heavily involved in the first wave uh, feminism movement. Like she, I should say, true. like she was, she it. We we can't like that's that's nothing to scoff at. But like all human beings, you know, she is more than one thing. Um, oh, yeah. So largely, she's an Egyptologist, right? Like, um, that's what that's what she she studied. That's what uh, she she was doing. Expert. So really, here's here's where the problem goes. So World War One. The reason why I bring that up is so she was an Egyptologist, right? And uh, she wants to go back to Egypt to study more, but suddenly there's this little world conflict <laughs> that prevents her from going back to Egypt. Like, like, so she's an Egyptologist who's kind of like has her like studies and research halted by World War One because she can't go back to Egypt, and so she's just sitting around. And so while she's sitting there, she gets obsessed with the witch trials, and like that's she starts like really digging into um to to the witch trials. And unfortunately, comes to a very bad conclusion. Very much so. And uh, this is where we get the witch cult hypothesis, which it's important to note um, was not all her idea. No, uh, there was no, there were uh, quite a few people who had uh, spoken about, of it before. It started about a hundred uh, years of run up. There's about a hundred years of run up. Yeah. Um, yeah. We got Karl Ernst Jarki in the late 1820s. Uh, he's a criminal law professor in Germany, not a historian, um, but he's studying like case law and things like that, and comes across the um, the witch trial, you know, records while while you know studying law, like being a law professor. And mm-hmm. he he just pretty much kind of proposes the hypothesis: what if the witch trials were real? Like. And, you know, he, he writes about it a bit, but it's just like a kind of a random idea, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's mostly like, what if this is, what if this was actually factual? Like, what if these things people are writing about? And, um, no one really takes him seriously. Uh, no one really takes this idea seriously. Again, he's not a historian. He's not uh, an archaeologist. He is, he's a law professor. Um, mm-hmm. but about a decade later, uh, Franz Josef Mohn, um, he, he comes like, and he, he, he's like, okay, what if they were real? And then he's got this weird idea. Like Moan's idea is so wild that I cannot, Moan's like, oh yeah, yeah. I, I hope I'm still, I'm saying his name right. It's M-O-N-E is the, his last name, uh, Moan. Um, he, he goes, uh, what if the, the, the witch trials were real, but because there was a witch cult, there's this cult, and they're worshiping Hecate and Dionysus in Germany. Because that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, Question mark. So, so yeah. The, uh, he thinks that there's this this cult that had come up into Germany and like uh, was worshiping Hecate and Dionysus, and not like the the Germanic gods like Woden or something you know like no 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 Hecate and Dionysus that's those yeah, are the, there's there's those no are need the, for 
there's no need for transplants. I mean, they had pre-Christian deities in yeah. Germany and that whole region. But yeah. there's like, a whole set of time, guys that are kind of like variations on a theme between the Germanic and Norse tribes that are like, you know, different versions, different stories. You know, there's divergences, obviously, but it's hard to say. Oh, yeah. Nah, screw those guys. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Greeks. But, yeah. Right. Exactly. Because like around the time they were writing, everyone was obsessed with, you know, ancient Egypt and the, you know, the classic Hellenic stuff. So yeah. like anything pagan, anything pre-Christian yeah. was automatically going to be associated with one of those two things or jammed into one of those molds. It was very square peg round hole sometimes that it really shows in the writing. Um, and they were obsessed with it the same way that late 19th century occultists would be obsessed with Kabbalah. Yeah. Well, it's, and absolutely it's, so this is like, this is the 1830s and this is still like, so I'm writes about the stuff. Literally no one's taking it seriously. Like it's fringe. Like like there are there are a few people on the outsides of things who are like you know like on board. Yeah, this is this is it. This is the thing. But like mainstream academia is just like no. I mean <laughs> the fucking Greeks. What? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the, the this sits around. But what you get is like also down the line in like 1899, uh, Leland publishes a radio. Oh the Gospel yes, of the witches. Which mm-hmm. is, uh, he, he, he claims it's like trees told this woman, Madalena, in, in ancient cult of witches, like in Italy. Um, but so, okay, so you got like this previous idea about a witch cult. Uh, Leland continues this idea of a witch cult, you know, 70 years later. And, mm-hmm. um, all of there this. Were, there were one flow. or two things in the meantime, but yeah. There are, there are. It's I'm I jumped. I don't know. Is anything you want to f- any gaps you want to fill in there? That I well, uh, there, there's mm, I think two. There, there's okay. two things that are they're probably important to mention. Um, Michelet's La Sociale. Uh, yeah. Forgive me, my okay. French is terrible. Uh, but yes, he he goes into um, the whole witch cult hypothesis in, you know, this book, The Sorcerer, The Witch. Um, and he's uh, Michelet is, of course, a, a French historian in the uh, the early 19th century. And well, not as early, but like a little bit later. So he goes into this whole thing. He expounds upon it. He adds his own sort of take on it. Um and then later we get Matilda Gage, who publishes Women, Church, and State. And that's where we get this claim uh, in the 1890s. Mm-hmm. Yes, 1890s, um, where she says that, you know, oh, well, back in, in, in way in, in like prehistory, everything was matriarchal and all of the first deities mm were goddesses and so everybody's worshiping like this great fertility goddess and that the witches who are part of this witch cult that everyone's been talking about had been priestesses serving this pagan religion and trying to keep it going so that's where we get this like ancient matriarchal goddess cult bullshit that and then that is later brought in as part of the thought pool for Leland's Aradia 
Yeah, and I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Leland's Aradia is, Leland's Aradia becomes kind of a popular book. And oh, yeah. so it's like, it, Leland's Aradia is really where, like, so you, you take these ideas that have been floating around for the last 70 years or 80 years in the case of, like, going back, because 1899 is when Leland publishes Aradia. And mm-hmm. this is, all of this comes up to so you got to, to the, the the dawn of the 20th century and margaret murray about a decade <laughs> you know decade and a half later is an egyptologist who can't work on her stuff uh suddenly like gets on board and academia is a little bit of a mess post-world war one because oh, yeah. a lot of people have i don't know there's this died uh (laughs) people have died dig sites museums historical sites have been bombed Um, basically the entire continent's a mess and there's also the 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 influence of the spanish flu has also Mm -hmm. taken a toll it's so it's friend people with fringe ideas like margaret murray uh get taken a little bit more seriously because there are fewer gatekeepers Honestly, mm-hmm. and we don't live in a world where, like, in in the modern world, um, it's a little easy. Peer review is a complicated thing, and uh, academia is imperfect, and stuff happens. Oh, so, yeah. so yeah, she gets on her bullshit. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> well, she she had like this pre existing uh, interest in folklore, so. Yeah. Without like reading her biography, uh, what I think happened is while she had that downtime, she just turned back to the stuff that she knew and she found these sources like as part of this record of uh, of English folklore, because all of all of her writings writings on the witch trial and stuff are very, very focused on England. Uh, There's very little mention of anything outside of the British Isles, which I think is telling. Um, and so she, she got on that and went, Hey, yeah, she went, Hey, Oh, something I can work on. And she just went with it. You know, like any of us that get bit by the, the inspo and research bug, she went, Hey, there's there. I think there's something to this. I'm going to get on board. I'm going to get on my bullshit and I'm going to write a book, which becomes the witch cult in Western Europe. In 1921, that gets published. Oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. So the witch cult in Western Europe is popular it it does it sells well for a you know a book about a supposed ancient witch cult in <laughs> western europe um and it gets it gets popular enough where and this is this is the kind of the defining moment where this breaks the like the obscurity bubble right like cuz we go back to like Leland, we go back to like all the stuff like it's still just sort of like a certain kind of person was reading this stuff and like even with the, the witch cult in Western Europe gets big enough, but really the moment where this goes from like this idea that like is is floating at the edges of society or the edge of like like it, it's becoming more known in academia because of people like Murray. It's not the centrally focused belief or like the 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 it's a <sighs> brain not working early in day uh, like. <laughs> the the accepted theory or anything, but it's she's getting enough support with the witch cult in Western Europe out that she gets invited to write the rewrite the entry for witchcraft in the Encyclopedia Britannica for nineteen twenty nine. Yes. Yes. And this is where 
this witch cult idea goes from being like to to yeah to ah everybody because the academics who had the discernment to kind of like look at the evidence and had done the research because again this is in an age where information is not as available as it is now right like you can't just rock up and find historical records or even just publications right access to publications is so much better now than it was even a decade ago, let alone a century ago. Um, oh, yeah, you had to physically dig through archives yeah. back then. You know, you're, you didn't have, you know, of course they didn't have the Internet. They barely had card catalogs. People bought encyclopedias <laughs> because that's how they could get information. Yeah, and that was their home reference. Mm-hmm. The big one, Encyclopedia Britannica is oh, yeah. the big one. And this suddenly goes from being this idea floated in strange dark corners of maybe an academic building or two and like the uh, weird upper class sex parties of occultists <laughs> to uh, just uh, everybody. Suddenly that's what happened, because what when you live in a world where information is distributed that way, it's in the book. It must be true. Yeah, it, it's in a book, it's in the newspaper, it's on the radio, it's in the encyclopedia, therefore it must be fact. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, you just believe it. That's oh, yeah. the information you have. And it's mm-hmm. not like the average person picking up that encyclopedia and reading that entry is going to be able to go check records in the German town where a witch trial happened. You know, it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> not, they don't have that ability, so they're just going to believe it. And this goes from being a weird fringe idea to being mainstream. Yeah, commonly accepted, yeah, by everyone. And not just people who are interested in, you know, the, the obscure parts of history or, you know, occult ephemera or, you know, the modern witchcraft movement. This is something that your everyday, you know, Joe Schmo off the street you know, if you asked him, you know, hey, you know, what did the witches and the witch trials do? He'd be like, oh, they were part of this, you know, this old cult that, like, worshipped the devil and danced in the woods and, you know, sacrificed animals and, and, and all of that. Uh, yeah. So this is what people thought for a very, very long time. Um, well, and she also, uh, uh, in there, she also had uh, God of the Witches as well, uh, 1930s, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually was a, a heavier influence, I think, on uh, the modern witchcraft movement because yeah. it sort of tried to paint uh, these elements uh, in, in a more like positive, semi-martyred light. She removes a lot of the mentions of like child and animal sacrifice and, you know, kind of the gross, squishy bits uh, and tries to be like, oh, no, you know, this was like this pre-Christian pagan cult that people were just trying to preserve, but the, the mean old church was stamping them out because it was a women's religion and it was a goddess yeah. religion and so forth and, and, and so on. Uh, and, you know, if, if any of that sounds familiar, it should, because yeah. we see so much of that in uh, early modern paganism, well, like early 20th century, and then on into the, the modern witchcraft movement. 
Well, I think it's arguable that this is really uh, Margaret Murray's um, witch cult of, of Western Europe and the God of the Witches is directly responsible for the modern witchcraft movement. And I, I think that because um, if you follow the thread, um, Gardner, like Gardner got into like occultism and stuff like that on his own. Right. But. <laughs> What really kicked off his witch obsession separately from that occultism, because if 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 Murray had never published this stuff, Gardner probably would have been just another occultist in like the new hermetic order, the hermetic order of the Golden Daughter, something like that, or like and and passed away in obscurity. Right. Like it's he he probably would have fallen just into that. The like, you know, that occultism movement and not like started something else, but it's the, the new forest coven where he was, uh, they formed on its own. So Dorothy Clutterbuck is this, uh, British woman, um, in new forest, England. And it's, we don't know a lot about the new forest coven, right? We don't know a ton. We just know that like most of what we know is what Gardner wrote about it. And, his words about it can't really be trusted about what exactly happened there. Like we have evidence that the group existed. We like, we have, we know people who were in it. Um, Mm -hmm. not all, but like not all of them, but like a handful of names. Um, like there is evidence for it. Uh, there's also evidence for Gardner not being an accurate narrator in his, uh, (laughs) description of events there. Oh yeah. Because he had an agenda. He -hmm. did. But, what we do know and what most people agree on is that there was this group that formed in either in, in likely in the 1930s, but possibly in the late 1920s, but most likely in the 1930s, um, uh, run by Dorothy Clutterbuck. And it was a group that they called themselves witches. And they uh, what they were doing was more like adapted Rosicrucianism, uh, but like they were calling themselves witches and they fancied themselves a continuation of the 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 traditions of like the inheritors of the ancient witch cult like i don't think they i don't we only again only know what gardner wrote uh so gardner claims that they were the inherit like that they were the direct line like unbroken Mm -hmm. but we know that's not true (laughs) (laughs) we know we know that's not true and and to be fair none of the members of that group besides Gardner and, you know, Edith Woodford Grimes, who went on to leave the group with Gardner to go to Bricketwood. Um, we know none of them ever said that they were an unbroken line going back to like the beginning of anything. Effectively, a bunch of people got together in the woods to do some witchcraft after reading Margaret Murray. And yep. then this guy, Gerald Gardner, shows up, joins them, says, hey, this is fun. It's not fun enough. And also, they're kind of like, you're a lot, Gerald. Um, <laughs> Let's put some pants on, Jerry. <laughs> no, 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 they were into being naked, too. Uh, oh, never mind. It's, no. Um, <laughs> they were Operation Cone of Power, baby. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's, yes. <laughs> that's, that's New Forest, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, for, for those, for, for, for those who don't know, yeah, please, please do tell them what Operation Cone of Power is. It's amazing. In, in 1940, uh, a group of these, the, the New Forest Coven members, uh, went out and performed a ritual known as Operation Cone of Power, which they hoped would, uh, uh, stop the Nazis from invading Britain. Um, 
it they they went outside in the woods naked on an August night um in New Forest, England. And uh they uh they 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 went out and did the spell. Um and uh these were not young people. They did not uh use anything like goose grease to keep themselves warm. And uh, a couple of them must not have had great immune systems because they knocked them down a peg and two of them ended up uh, getting sick and dying <laughs> mm-hmm. not long after. And uh, they had pneumonia, which obviously we know that pneumonia is not caused by being cold because in the modern day. But, however, if you already have a pre-existing infection by going outside in the cold and reducing your immune system, you can cause it to become pneumonia where it otherwise might not have been. So, uh yeah. Especially if you're you're older and you yeah, know, they, you're, yeah. you're already not in the best of health. Yeah. And and we know that and and people generally believe this to be true because uh two guys from New Forest who were believed to be a part of the group, uh Walter Forter and Charles Loder, uh passed away not long after uh from pneumonia. So <laughs> uh There you go. But uh, I mean Jerry might be right. Uh, I mean though all all credit to that group, though, they saw a problem and an imminent threat, and they did witchcraft about it. I respect that, even and if the execution fair, of it was, you know, I- iffy. And to be fair, they never made landfall in Britain. Uh-huh. I don't count the planes, even though that was terrible. But Right. It, no, they yeah. bombed it. They didn't invade. They attacked. Exactly. They did not invade. Which is why we close our loopholes, friends and neighbors. (laughs) To be fair, Gerald Gardner was recounting this story long after the war. And, uh, you know, who knows how much of that is actually true, but it's a fun story. So we believe it. Uh, (laughs) I I choose to believe it because I love, like, the idea of that. It's like, no, fuck Nazis. We're going to do a witchcraft about it. And I'm like, you know what? Hard same. But also, we're going to be stupid and create a lesson uh, called Don't Go Out Naked in the Cold for Witchcraft <laughs> Purposes. Like, think of basic safety precautions when you're composing a spell. Like, in general, like, don't mix herbs that can kill you. Don't consume, th- like, don't Practice consume poisonous stuff. It's Tie your hair back when leaning mm-hmm. over the altar if you have long hair. How many witches do we know who have lit their hair on fire? Quite a bit! Oh, God, yeah. We all know. Yeah. But, so it's so, a fun story and an object lesson. <laughs> Yarp. It's, uh, <laughs> so it's, I think honestly, the reason why I've told that story more often than anything is the, is witchcraft dangerous in quotes? And I said, yes, only if you're stupid. Here's some people <laughs> who died because they went out naked in the cold. Don't do that. Like, it's, the dangers are you being an idiot, not mm-hmm. the witchcraft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. Common fucking sense. But common oh, yeah. fucking sense does not exist. So it's really so. So Gardner, Gardner gets into witchcraft because of these guys, and he decides, you know, he's going to go off and he's going to improve it in giant air quotes with all of this occultism stuff that he's also been learning. Um, and you know, and and he drags all this Crowley bullshit in, which then oh. you know, which then you know, Doreen Valiant is going to have to go over with a bunch of whiteout later. Um, <laughs> Oh, no, boy. Jerry. Nope. 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 You're an astounding man, but this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> it's, 
That's my best. That's my best uh, Doreen Valiente impersonation. I don't think everybody has one. Um, yeah, I, I think that that feels accurate. That feels right. So yeah, we'll we'll run with that. I've, I've uh, watched, I have I have watched interviews. Well, there you go. There you go. Uh, I've I've read her poetry. She she seems like a like a nice gal. She had some, yeah, some interesting she don't ideas. Yeah, necessarily read her books. Uh, mm-hmm. Have, I don't know if you uh, have followed uh, Sec uh, on on Tumblr dissecting that one Doreen Valiente book. It's oh, Doreen Valiente was a yeah. poet and an amazing person, like many of the early figures from the modern witchcraft <laughs> movement. Um, she's good at coming up with the bits for a religion, not necessarily great about research or understanding historical fact. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, she was pretty yeah. open about Wicca being new, but then, like, her actual, like, ideas, like, if you, uh, she links stuff that, maybe, no, no, Doreen, what do you, no, no, Doreen, that's not how that works, Doreen. Please put, put, put it down. Put that oh, random God. piece of culture from another group down. You don't, you don't have to use it that way. You, you could, you could stop. You're, <laughs> You could just say you like the idea. You don't have to justify it that way. You could, no. Okay. So. Well, I mean, that's how it went. It's, it was all like free association, trying to tie things together. It was a wall with red string and push pins. Well, there are a lot of drugs in the 60s. And. I mean, yeah. That's when she was writing a lot of her stuff. Like, it's because she comes in in 1950. But uh, this is not a, a history of Wicca moment. This is a Margaret Murray episode. But. Margaret Murray is responsible for Gardner effectively founding Wicca, which then brings in people. And also people like Doreen Valiente get obsessed with the idea of witchcraft because of people like Margaret Murray. And then that's how people like Doreen Valiente get into it and then meet Gerald Gardner. Because I think that, like, Doreen Valiente is responsible for 50% of the ideas in Wicca, right? Like, I think it's it's fair. She wrote the read. Like, it... Who like when people say, "Well, the Wiccan read whose advice is it?" Well, it's Doreen's. Okay, she uh-huh. wrote it. Uh, it's yeah. They they don't they but, call her the mother of Wicca in some books because anyone giving her proper credit should. Um, they, yeah. Well, I've seen I've seen Margaret fucking Murray called the grandmother because you right. know her ideas influenced right. so much of those early uh, those early but ideas. But yeah, right. It's but like so Doreen Valiente though probably just is some person who does something else while being interested in witchcraft if she doesn't meet Gerald Gardner and Gerald Gardner doesn't get into she would have never met Gerald Gardner if Gerald Gardner hadn't started doing witchcraft stuff instead of like occult the basic you know ceremonial magic occultism bullshit Mm -hmm. so um, I'm not calling that kind of magic bullshit I am calling um, that group of like, let's be clear, because I'm sure there's some ceremonial magician I just offended by saying it was bullshit. I call everything bullshit when it's upper class white people. OK, that's it. That's all. It's, it doesn't mean that the idea has no value. It means the people had no value. Um, No, it <laughs> doesn't mean the people's ideas had no value. It means I would not want to have dinner with them. Does that make sense? Like it means yeah, that, like it, it means it was a bunch of upper class white people with way too much time on their hands who got some ideas into their heads and said, hey, this sounds like a fun thing. Let's one, try it two free associate about it. Three, put our own spin on it and four, make a religion. 
yeah. So it's and that's why and that's why Margaret Murray though like gets the blame. Like people talk about like oh well all these other people like why aren't you going after Leland? I'm like first off you think I don't talk about shit about Leland? Okay, uh, but <laughs> um, like but like why aren't you going after Yarky? Because nobody like Yarky. No one gave a shit to can down a hall. <laughs> it's this went from being weirdos on the edge to being like the encyclopedia starting the one of the one of the larger religious movements to come out of the 20th century mm-hmm. like it's it went from being this thing that um it went from being this thing that nobody thought was true to this thing that is like the whole deal in 1990s supernatural fiction you know yeah. it's mm-hmm. that doesn't happen without margaret murray breaking the idea mainstream and then and continuing to run with it like if she had just done a little bit more research outside of her bubble and because again this whole thing wasn't like it was a personal obsession but was outside her academic expertise like it's it's like when you take someone who's like maybe an expert in one thing but then thinking they're an expert in everything and then like putting them up as a talking head on like all those other topics like that they actually haven't studied, but you try to justify it with their credentials in this other area and you give the weight of academia, you know, that wouldn't happen in current society. Fox News. Pause for. (laughs) And actually Jordan Peterson's not that great at what the stuff he actually studied. (laughs) Um, He's mostly a lot dumber than you think. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Man, That's considerable. Uh, <laughs> oh. So, the, so anyways, this, so anyways, this going back to the the witch cult hypothesis itself. Uh, I think we can we can dig into that just a little bit at the end here because I know that um, there are going to be some folks who are like, you know, well, what if? You know, that witch cult hypothesis was true. What if? What if I had feet for hands? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There are a lot of dumb things we can contemplate. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But it's like, well, you know, what what do you mean? Why couldn't we take, you know, uh, because so much of it, um, you know, relied on this assumption that the confessions giving during the English witch trials was not only literal truth, but also freely confessed. Oh, uh, God, so yeah. that it was like this, this proud, you know, and it, it was very much a, a sort of feminist lens on the things, uh, which, which makes sense considering uh, Murray's, you know, other secular beliefs. Yeah. Um, I, so yeah, it, it was, was it was viewed, yeah. So yeah. her view was, you know, oh, it was the these because yes, the, the victims of the witch trials were by and large women, um, and Especially so it was in, like in, oh, in England, yeah, oh for sure, yes, yeah. for sure and for certain. Um, so it was like oh no, it's this proud pagan feminist, you know, pushback against you know the. The, the the male patriarchy and the the church and all of that system stuff. So what that completely ignores, besides you know the historical record, is a handy little thing called context. Yeah. So 
relying on this theory that all these confessions were actual truth and not given under duress, but freely admitted, completely ignores the fact that torture or threat thereof, false promises and extremely leading questions were regularly employed tactics during interrogation. We have texts like the Malleus Maleficarum and Demonology, which document this and which were standard resources for prosecutors at the time. Yeah. So they would regularly, you know, torture someone with pointy persuasion or with the various, you know, tests with ducking or just provide uh, uh, deprive them of food and water and sleep or just like throw them in a hole and lock them up and ask them the same questions over and over until the person just agreed to whatever was being asked again of them. Confessions so, under torture are never reliable evidence. Time and time and time we've seen that. It has oh, yeah. been shown study after study that anything that people under torture will say what are actually just likely to say whatever they think the person torturing them wants to hear to get them to stop. Exactly. They are unreliable. And the fact is, is that anyone who has done any and it has any understanding of the psychological nature of torture and what it does to people and what people are going to do in those circumstances would immediately dismiss any confession given by anyone uh, under tor- under duress in that sort of situation. They mm-hmm. would dismiss it immediately as and, and would never consider it reliable evidence. And exactly. it's you would consider it of having zero evidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even if there wasn't like physical whatever you know, in place, there's still the psychological yeah. element because these people's lives revolved around their faith. You know, so yeah. in, in, a prosecutor can say to you, look, you know, just confess to this stuff that we already know you did. And even if the person is completely innocent of even thinking of anything to do with all this nonsense, yeah. um, they will start to feel guilty because they go, oh, no, you know, what if I have sinned in my thoughts? Because that was a huge freaking thing. and you know, there's this person of authority, whether it's, you know, someone who's brought in to prosecute or someone local or a a local church figure or or whomstever uh, saying, you know, listen, we know you're guilty of this. So just, you know, confess because confession is the route to salvation and beg for forgiveness. You will be pardoned and allowed to go free. If you keep lying to us, a.k.a. them actually telling the truth, you will be executed, you'll die unshriven, you won't be forgiven in the eyes of God, and you'll burn in hell, which to an innocent person, especially then, is terrifying Yeah, because they're more afraid of what happens after death than they are what happens in life because that was what everything revolved around is you have to live this good life, you have to live a pious life because eternity is a long fucking time. Uh, so they'd confess, again with the heavy air quotes, by either, like you said, just confirming what the interrogators were act, uh, asking or they like string together whatever local rumor and gossip was going around and maybe throw in some imaginative bits based on whatever popular superstition was common in their area. And we see that evolve in the testimonies over time based on the popular ideas of what witches were doing in that region, you know, in uh, in Sweden, it was oh, witches kidnap children. In England, it was witches have familiars. In, you know, Germany, yep. it was all about, you know, having sex with demons. It was it was crazy how yeah. different it was and how much it changed depending on where you were and what time it is. 
And, you know, even after all of that, they're like, okay, fine. You know, you'll be forgiven, whatever. We're still going to execute you because you're a witch and you just said it uh, because, you know, false promises of letting them go are a defined tactic in the Malleus and in demonology. Uh, and then they're like, oh, and by the way, uh, we believe that where there's one witch, there have to be more. So you need to give us more names or this isn't going to stop. And, and so then you'll hang anyway. Folks. Yeah. And you'll, you'll name who the, who the fuck ever. And what's worse is in a lot of situations, they're like, oh, okay, you know, I'll just name the people who have already been accused. They're like, no, 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 we want new names. We already know this. We want new ones. So it, it was a fucking mess by any definition. So this is not a free confession from a proud feminist pagan, which we're talking about. It's a desperate attempt to stay alive by a very frightened person with little to no legal recourse, little to no representation, probably already ostracized by their community, facing pain, starvation, sleeplessness, imprisonment, very possibly death. So yeah. the problem with relying on trial records of this kind for your evidence beyond the, you know, the obvious knowledge that confessions uh, and information gotten under duress, under torture are not reliable and should be discounted is that even if there was some element of truth to the confessions, they were recorded and disseminated by hostile sources. So these were not in any way historians looking to preserve the rights of some pagan religion for posterity. These are a bunch of zealot assholes looking to torture people into saying what the courts wanted them to say so they could be executed. Then that's all there is to it. It's not a basis for, you know, saying, oh, there is this grand unified, you know, pagan goddess cult. It's no, this is a whole lot of superstition and a whole lot of people who, you know, suffered and died because other people were afraid. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast and would like to help support the show, make sure you visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop. There you can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestlework, or shop for specialty items you won't find anywhere else, like witch web kits, vials of my homemade banishing powder, and podcast merch. Use code HEXPOSITIVE to get a special surprise with your order. Visit brainicaron.wordpress.com shop and place your order today. And now, back to the show. Well, and also, and this is this is the the thing that drives me nuts about all of this, right? So Margaret Reed, like taking this stuff at the witch trials, like is that it wholly contradicts everything we know about pre-Christian Europe uh, religious beliefs in, in the mm -hmm. people. Like we we know about the Germanic and the and and the Norse tribes. Like it's like we have fucking. I mean, like Snorri's not necessarily a reliable narrator on everything, uh, but like we know a lot. Like. We, not necessarily that, but like we have all of this evidence for like what gods existed, right? Like we mm -hmm. we know that like we know about very different gods, like and how that idea of that matriarchal like pan European witch cult does not jive with the theology that we the even though we're piecing together, you know, the the theology of of Western Europe, it's very different than what they're describing. And there is outside of the witch trials, there is no evidence for this witch cult existing. Like there is no folklore being passed down. There is no 
no no historian wrote de- like discovered this and and detailed and you can say that oh it was a secret witch cult that's a fucking convenient thing because you know mm-hmm. yeah it's true we have lost a lot of you know we have lost a lot of the exact details of a lot of belief like it's like north north heathenry is reconstructionist it is not a direct connection and like we rely on people like snorri a christian's description of of norse legends for certain things it's like obviously like and then like the germanic versions which are different you know woden and odin are roughly based off the same guy but their the myths are not exactly the same their relationships to the the counterparts of the other gods from like are not exactly the same some gods don't exist in germanic heathen in germanic you know versions of things that do exist in norse stuff and vice versa like it's they're not like but but they came from the same source. Like, we know they came from the same source. They evolved out of the same proto-religion. We just don't know exactly what that looked like, right? Like, mm-hmm. if there was this pan-European group that was so widespread that was everywhere, there would at least be evidence on par with what we have for those other sets of gods that we know that the, the common people were worshipping, Right. Like, exactly. If it persisted to that degree and was so large that into, you know, the the period of the witch trials, people were still doing it. That's the thing, because, like, by the time the witch trials happened, like, largely, like, the reason why we don't have a lot of evidence for things like, you know, for, for, for like, Norse and Germanic gods and things like that, and we're, we're, we're piecing together things from the archaeological record and then, you know, accounts like, like Snorri is because... Uh, they they got knocked out centuries before the witch trials, right? Like they were supplanted in those areas. Um, the, the, those areas converted to Christianity, and and not in the way, not in the imperialist colonialist way. Some people like the paint. They converted themselves. It was a much more like it was. It's a much more complicated thing than some people like to make it out to be. But still, um, like we lost so much from that Christianization. But we still have evidence of it, right? Like, we still have, like, accounts from from certain people. The witch cult then would have still survived centuries longer. And for it to exist, it would have survived into England, Germany, like, all of these places, right? For for her to be doing it, like, even, like, uh, because if, like, you know, for for to make it to the Americas in Salem, like, all of this bullshit. Oh, yeah. uh, (laughs) Like, it... It would have to be so strong. You would be finding ritual kits. You would be finding documents. Like, even if it was an oral history, like, these are, these are Europeans, man. We keep all of this shit. Like. Oh, yeah. There would are, have been some there would have record been, somewhere. There would have been someone who broke protocol and wrote shit there would down. Be, well, but that's the whole thing is that the, what, what sold, the, there would be someone like Gardner not full of bullshit. Exactly. But they're wizards, exactly. and we have proven that all of these guys are full of bullshit. And that is, but that is also, though, you know, so, like, for it to have survived to the modern record, there would be academically verifiable stuff. Like, because we're talking about things that would have had to somehow exist until, like, the 1700s, like, but at least the 1500s, right? Like, for sure. And for mm-hmm. stuff to have gone that long, there would have been... The witch trials also would have probably found physical evidence that they did not. Yeah. No, they just found freckles yeah. and scars and, you know, 
jar well, because and the witch trials the people and, and doing that whatever. thought there was like a literal devil dancing around in the woods you know what i mean well, like yeah. it's like you have to understand that like for the if you accept the concepts of the witch trials you are not accepting like um a bunch of people going out into the woods and you know lighting a couple of candles calling the quarters and you know walking around in circles a few times like you you mm-hmm. are you are accepting a much more fantastical version of these revelations that, um, like, well, I'm sure that many of us wish was what was happening and in our minds is what is happening. It is not <laughs> what is described in the witch trials is a direct, literal, physical thing happening in the room. It mm-hmm. is, you know, people are flying, you know, it's uh, and, you know. If yeah. if the magic described in those was real, Sek would already be a dragon. I mean, as cool as that would be, you're absolutely right. Uh, and it's also telling that so much of what we hear about, you know, the witches' Sabbath and whatever is either just inverted Christian rites because that was like the worst thing they could think of was just, yeah. you know, Christian practices and ritual turned upside down or inside out or whatever – or it was a whole bunch of, you know, anti-Semitic anti-Semitism. So much. They did used to call it the witch's synagogue in some places. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah and uh, that's, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A it's, whole uh, thing. And the other bit of it is, it's so much like, like I, was, I just want to pause for a bit. Like, I <laughs> yeah, don't want to downplay the amount of anti-Semitism in the witch trials. There was oh. a lot. So yeah. before anyone thinks that we have forgotten about that, no, it's just not what no, we're we ranting about right now. But yeah, oh my god, so fucking anti-Semitic. Oh, oh god, god, yeah, it's just, it was, uh, it bad. just, just so much, so, yeah, so much. It's well, I mean, it's 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 medieval Europe, uh, it's yeah. well, and post-medieval Europe, but like, yeah, that, yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, but anti-Semitism isn't great now. Like, you know, believe it or not, there was a time when it was worse than this. Mm-hmm. And it's still pretty bad. So, yeah. All right. Sorry. So, yeah, we're, we're, sorry. we're not forgetting about that. No, no, no. That's a very important point to make. We are not forgetting we're about that. We're here to complain about Margaret Murray. But we're this here is to about Margaret Murray. Exactly. The anti-Semitism. Very real. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But the other thing with, you know, looking for evidence of witches is that old, you know, D&D chestnut. I run down the hall looking for traps. You find them. Um, if you. See, if I'm a jam, into- there are no traps. They just hit the wall. <laughs> there you they go. fail their dexterity check and hit the wall. <laughs> Natural one. Uh, the trap was you. <laughs> oh, this is fabulous. Anyway, so what is it? Oh, yeah. So, like, if you go into something with the assumption that you are going to find evidence of witchcraft, you are naturally going to view literally anything you find with that lens of, oh, there it must be. You know, I've gone into this person's home looking for evidence that they are casting spells. It's confirmation bias. I Exactly. I see candles. I see medicinal herbs, some of which may or may not be poisonous because a lot of them are because dose makes poison. You know, I see uh, what looks like a dolly. I see a whole lot of corn husks. I see, you know, this or that or the other thing. You know, I see a, a Bible that's stored incorrectly. I see a suspicious book. It could be literally 
anything because like you said confirmation bias they are looking for something and if they find something that looks even a little bit like it they'll go yep there it is there it is see i was right haha she's a witch killer yeah yeah for for me if someone came into my home looking for witchcraft they they they, they would find the witchcraft because <laughs> wicca is a real i'm a wiccan wicca is a thing so guess what there's physical evidence of it uh-huh but now we can't be prosecuted under law because uh, Trey is a witch. You go into Trey's house <laughs> and you dig hard enough, you will find physical evidence of witchcraft because that's what happens when it exists. Uh huh. And if 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 it doesn't exist, you know what you find? You find bullshit. You got a string together with red string and not a thing that like I got a book of shadows that literally says I am quite. I mean, it doesn't say I am quite literally a witch, but it it does say I I am a witch. This is witchcraft and in, mm-hmm. in many ways throughout it. Uh, yeah, if you found it, nobody got that. <laughs> no, no, and Ugh. you would think there's so many claims also. Uh, that there were, you know, these these books uh, that people had to write their names in uh, to be part of, like, this devilish compact. The and, devil's uh, book. Exactly, where you had to write your name in blood or whatever they're saying. And, you know, people who had these, you know, these special, you know, invisible spell books, disappearing spell books that, you know, a witch could just magically hide if anyone you know, came to the door. It must have been a very tiny book that someone just shoved up their hoo-ha. Uh, hey, they could have shoved it up their butt. I mean, There were guys accused, enough? too. Exactly. Up their nose. Hoo-ha, hoo-ha can mean a lot of things. Well, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's the fact I that... I guess you, your you colloquialisms found... and my colloquialisms don't line up. It's <laughs> very true. But, exactly. Um... You and your Eastern so we, time zone, all fancy. <laughs> uh, I'm just a humble Wisconsinite. <laughs> we farm Jeez, our yeah, lands. Sir. We fish our sea, our lakes. We eat a big sandwich. That was me <laughs> actually quoting Wings, but that takes place in Nantucket, which is uh, so very different. Yeah. Hmm. Not so very different. The, the big sandwich line gets quoted in my family quite a bit. Yeah, we we I, I we farm our lands, we fish our sea, we I think it's we fish our waters. I can't remember the order if it's farm our lands and fish our waters, which one comes first. But it's it's we farm our lands, we we fish our waters, we eat a big sandwich because one of the characters has organized a party and keeps refusing to get a big sandwich, and everyone shows up to the party looking for the big sandwich. <laughs> Oh, and no. we all know what the big sandwich it's harder to like we've all been to the party with the big sandwich right like yeah. that's just a uh, like i like i it's common in the midwest uh, you know i'm assuming it's common on the the fancy east coast where you are have you uh, heard of philadelphia hoagies of course it is no but the big sandwich you know that's not a you know the oh, big oh yeah they sandwich. make them giant they make right, them right, 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 where you yeah. get, like, the six-foot sandwich. I mean, I mm-hmm. know that everybody knows what it is because there's a national chain that makes them uh, <laughs> with Subway. So, actually, here's the thing. Like, now when you get that stuff catered, often they'll give you, like, a whole pack of, like, regular-sized sandwiches and not the big sandwich. <gasps> and it's really disappointing. Like, a, lo- a lot of places won't even do the big sandwich anymore. And oh. it just it breaks my heart because 
there's something wonderful about the ridiculousness of the big sandwich because it's just the giant loaf of bread. Yes, damn it. Required just amazing to get a six foot loaf of bread. There's something sacred about that, man. You want to talk about witchcraft rituals? Let's talk about the big fucking sandwich. No, um, oh, bread is wi- bread is firmly witchcraft. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeast is alive. It is. I have put a living organism into this, you know, thing of buttermilk. I and it farted it out some bubbles. Flour. I put it in the oven, and voila! It is now a bread. That's it witchcraft, y'all. Farted into my dough, and now I've got bread. It's <laughs> amazing. It's wonderful. Oh, but anyway, bringing it back around. Oh. Speaking oh of farts, God. Margaret Murray. <laughs> so she she lived to be quite an old fart. I, I believe she did her hundredth birthday. Mm-hmm. Yep. And she she, uh, uh, she passed in nineteen sixty three, and she uh, she published two books that year because you know. Of course, she fucking did. Always because always be closing. Um, she wrote her. Uh, her autobiography, you know, rather amusingly titled, I think, My First Hundred Years. I'm like, you know what? Props. A, that's yeah, that's a cute. good fucking title. That's like, cute. it's regardless of regardless of anything. Um, that's good. That's a good title. That's real good. I uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then she also published. Oh, what what the hell was it? Um, she she published another book that uh that had more to do with the goddess cult aspect of uh well, here's of the yeah. witch cult. Here's the thing, to okay. a degree I feel Genes- like Genesis of Religion, that's what it was. I feel like Margaret Murray's to blame for everything that happens up until the nineteen fifties because I mean that's that she meets Gerald Gardner and Gerald Gardner's like, You're right, here we are. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. it's her fault and then She's got her confirmation bias, and then this guy shows up and says, you're right. We've been uh-huh. here. Like, try to pull the Sam Reich. We've been here the whole time. Yes. It's, yeah. And so, like, and you get all these people following, and you get the dawn of the movement in the early part of, of her life, and she's got this, and she writes the foreword to one of Gardner's books. Mm-hmm. Um. So, like, I feel like there's, there's there's a point where like at that point she's got so much momentum she's published this stuff and the witches are coming out of the woodwork and saying you're right not really under like putting together two and two that like I wrote this massive I wrote this massively widespread article in the encyclopedia about the ancient witch cult and then coincidentally the witches go like you were right Margaret right <laughs> afterwards like did. No, 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 no! You missed you missed the piece, Margaret. You, you you missed the part where they made this up after you published. But you know, yeah, is... and it does it does kind of become they told a her what little she bit to hear. cyclical. Yeah, yeah, because they told her she told them, you know, this theory she had. They said, "Yes, that's great, and we're going to confirm it for you because here we are, and we agree with you because we're also belonging to this fringe thought group," and. She turns around and goes, great, my theory's been confirmed. I'm going to run with it. And she writes more stuff that feeds back into the movement, which uses it as a resource and uses it to write, you know, their own books and, like, uses her as a resource and so on. So it feeds into itself and kind of snowballs from there. Yeah, it's it's recursive. Yes. (laughs) 
I couldn't think of the word, but yes. It's I can think it's of more big words. Old Cyclical, recursive, uh, self-referencing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> then, then again, so much of the late nineteenth, earliest twentieth century cultism stuff was it really just was Look, a big. Circle. I've never been to a witchcraft circle jerk, but I'm one hundred percent certain it has occurred many times. Oh hell yes! Oh hell yes! There's a lot Absolutely. of horniness in. Uh... <laughs> oh God. Look, I, I'm I, early Wicca is super just horny. Just an excuse for an orgy, okay? It's just an excuse, and not just Wicca. Like the the other like oh, golden yeah, no. dawn stuff and all that before that. I'm like, I'm convinced half of it was just well, it's to it, go to it, someone's it, house and screw. <laughs> a lot of it is a rebellion against. So like the the restriction, the Victorian, the the Victorian um, obsession with kind of public purity leads to a whole mm-hmm. bunch of weird stuff behind the scenes and that's that's a lot of driving in the occult movement mm-hmm. and that's a lot driving people into like uh witchcraft stuff um during valiente slept around a lot <laughs> it's, right on. was up for a party and i <sighs> i just hope there was good communication between her and the the yes. like it's and her partners and the person she's married to, like, you know, as long as everyone was consenting, I say, go for it. Yes. Um, like, but like you go into a lot of writers, like, especially from those early Wiccans and they are horny as fuck. Uh, huh? but it's almost like their religion bloomed, uh, going into the sexual revolution. Um, like, <laughs> I mean, Gardner passed, like, Gardner was, in the, hmm, 20s. Yeah, but yeah. and then and then but uh, then and then has like that full bloom in the sixties, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know, Wicca really starts in the fifties. Uh, well, I feel like Wicca start whether you define the the starting line of Wicca is either in the forties or the fifties, depending on where you draw it. Like, do you draw it when Gardner? Because we don't draw it at New Forest, right? We draw, but the no. earliest we draw it probably is Brickettwood when uh, in the forties when uh, Gardner fucks off to Brickettwood. I just like to say it that way. Yeah, uh, that's, with, that's uh, kind of when I tend with to Edith Woodford Grimes, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's there is an argument that it doesn't become Wicca until uh, Doreen Valiente shows up in the fifties uh, and rewrites the Gardnerian Book of Shadows and um, refines a lot of the ideas and right. kind of because it's there's an argument about that is always, always to be had about Wicca, whether or not it's orthodoxic or orthopraxic. And it's, um, I think the answer lies somewhere between. And we really, um, the rituals already start out, um, because they're largely, uh, like lifted from like Golden Dawn and stuff like that. Uh, oh, yeah. People who get a lot of, like, there's this one TikToker who's been like, just like, fucking driving me nuts because she'll like make declarations that like Gardner was obsessed with indigenous practices and I'm like and stole from them I'm like no did you no. have you read his fucking rituals he ripped off Golden Dawn he was heavily involved in the occultism movement and just took their rituals and yeah, like there's a bunch of Masonic stuff about indigenous American stuff like on, if, if you want to talk about him being like obsessed with um, another culture we, we gotta bring in India like Mm-hmm. Skyclad is literally a translation from like, like an idea from Jainism. Like, it, like, god damn y'all! Like, if you want to talk about who we appropriated from, get yeah, the right Egypt. fucking yes. get, pick, like not to sound, but pick the right kind of Indians. 
Um, <laughs> oh boy. Wrong ones. Wrong continent. Ugh. Like it's he didn't know fuck all about Native Americans. No. Uh, he he wasn't like later Wiccans did lift <laughs> stuff from indigenous groups. Yes. But oh, it's yeah. not part of the oh. founding document. It's not part of the. It's Wicca being orthodox or orthopraxic is really an interesting. Like it's a whole other thing. I should do a whole episode on that. Fuck it. But um, you should. Like, that would be amazing. like, uh, but then like so like a lot of the beliefs like the way that like the structures of like because you get things like the Ardanes that like get tossed out. Although uh, he introduces that after in the fifties, he introduces the Ardanes and like nobody wants anything to do with those. Uh, but um. Like, it's, he's got some rough ideas, but, like, so for, like, the actual, like, religious stuff, a lot of it gets refined when Doreen shows up, and so, like, do you consider it Wicca Wicca when, um, when he just starts the group, or when the beliefs kind of line up with what are, is roughly the modern, like, what we define as Wiccan beliefs, and what we define as, as, as Wiccan stuff, so it's, like his the Bricketwood Coven started in the forties, but does it become Wicca until the fifties is a question that no one is going like it's it, the problem is it's not a fine it's not a firm line. The founding of Wicca is right. not like this moment here. Like there are moments we can define when they happened, when, you know, when he joins New Forest, when he leaves and forms his own group in Bricketwood, when he publishes Witchcraft Today, like all of this stuff like all these are different moments when, when Doreen Valiente rewrites a bunch of his shit. Um, like all of these are, are defining are defining moments. But again, right. None of this happens without, without Margaret, Margaret fucking Murray. Murray. Yeah. Very, very true. And honestly, I, I think I blame Margaret's work more than Buckland or Ravenwolf for some of the shit that we have to like untangle and unteach newer witches because in so much of modern witchcraft and modern paganism, there's, there's this idea that antiquity confers legitimacy. So people want to, you know, sort of glom onto this idea of you know oh you know the the this old pre-christian uh pagan cult that was just struggling to survive against you know the big bad church and especially for folks who you know maybe have some anger or some religious trauma about the the faith they were raised in it's a very convenient narrative and yeah. it it's something that you 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 really can relate to i mean i know i did full disclosure in my early days as a witch i was firmly part of that camp you know until i yeah. you know, got my head on straight and actually you know found some resources that didn't just you know, feed my confirmation bias yeah, absolutely. and confirm what I already thought. I was, I was a Wiccan for a good five or six years before I found out that Wicca wasn't ancient because again, in my defense, I started in the nineties guys, like information was not as readily available. Um, yeah. yeah. And when you're, when you're studying more or less on your own, which so much of us are, or so many of us are, um, you know, it's, it's hard to have that sort of, community peer review in a way uh if you only look for one thing one thing is what you're going to find if you never look 
for outside sources, if you never look for conflicting viewpoints, if you never take time to fact check or go, hmm, maybe I should look at the you know practical stuff for context. Yeah, you're only going to have that one view. There is there is a grand tragedy to all of this, though, like when it mm. comes to Margaret Murray, just to bring the focus. Like, I know I don't want to distract, but like Margaret Murray is best well remembered now by most people for popularizing the witch cult hypothesis, which and is is firmly like debunked. Right. She okay. is best known for being wrong about something mm-hmm. when in her actual field of study in Egyptology. She was considered one of the greats of her day, and her influence has passed on for generations. She was the the grand old woman of Egyptology. It's mm-hmm. her archaeological work in Egyptology is she's she's one of the most important figures in in and she was like considered the the middle ground between um like Grafton Elliot Smith's weird like hyper diffusionist ideas and um and Petrie's uh ideas like she's she was a massively important figure in Egyptology mm-hmm. and she's not remembered that way she's a person who had a real academic legacy and she was considered to be a great, a really good, a really great professor. Um, and her research, like, has been considered in, invaluable. But all that her name is spoken about in the year 2023 is about this shitty idea she had about something that was not her focus. Like, that is, I think, the real tragedy of, of Margaret Murray is that the good work she did will always be overshadowed by this one stupid, harmful idea that she popularized. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she she still was, you know, obviously no person in, in, in history is perfect. Everybody is problematic. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we're, but it's we're, we're discussing like a was, problematic thing she did. <laughs> well, yeah, but I'm I'm talking like outside of that. Like, you know, for her time, she was a progressive person. She was a progressive thinker. She was a first wave feminist. You know, she was a woman in academia in England at the turn yeah. of the 20th century. What a rarity that was. So and, and well, not just a woman in academia, but a woman highly placed in her field, in the institution where she worked. Yeah. She's a very smart woman. She was very highly educated. And how creative do you have to be to come up with this whole, you know, she didn't come up with the whole well, hypothesis, hypothesis, but she expanded on it so much. Yeah. Well, you know, that takes a good brain. You know, it, even if the even if the 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 hypothesis, if the the theory is flawed, it's still, hey, that's an interesting thought you have there. Well, the same drive that fought that she had, the same drive that she used to fight to get to that place in academia, and the same mm-hmm. push that she had, she also used to push all of her ideas, and right. that meant the full force went behind this too. Yeah. And so it's I I I do want like 
I do want people to understand that while I say Margaret fucking Murray, it is out of frustration, but that doesn't mean that there isn't some like respect in me for the person that she was. And I think that people need to remember that she was in, in many ways like a, a brilliant. She's not like evil. Like it's it's really no. easy for us when we take figures like this to go like well I shake my fist it's like I'm frustrated with the things she did um, I actually still have a ton of respect for her because frankly like her her like it I think the real the real tragedy is like because like she fought for like for for like women her fights for for supporting women in academia also like mm-hmm. were massive and like. Like when she went to, to to university, like she had to fight for women to be able to use the common room at the university. Like it's mm-hmm. like you have to you have to think that like all of this stuff, like that she was fighting for and doing, is so important. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't be pissed about her stupid idea that she got published in the goddamn Encyclopedia Britannica, <laughs> like. That being said, you know, of course, you know, we, we can respect the hard work that she did and, and be grateful that even though her idea was, you know, of course, discredited and based on, you know, this flawed theory, you know, without her books, we yeah. might not be talking. Well, we might not be. Well, obviously, we wouldn't be talking about her, but we might not be where we are. We might not have the modern witchcraft community as it exists today, because her her ideas were such a big influence. Well, I mean, I'm sure yeah, that Gardner yeah. would have come up with something, but there there's you know Gardner, less chance that it would have been as widespread. Right. It's it wouldn't have had the the cultural momentum. It's the, the iron like circumstance. He would have been yet another occultist who like maybe wrote a few books and then went on to be forgotten. You know, it's mm-hmm. because there were many occultists who wrote many things that whose names are not remembered the way that Gerald Gardner's are. And it's, this is, this is, this is, I want to be clear. Like when we talk about a figure like this is that all these, every single one of these figures is a complex human being with good parts and bad parts. And there's this kind of uh, tendency for us to simplify people into caricatures. It's like, like, and, and we make jokes, like you and I, we make jokes about, like we'd make jokes about Gerald Gardner, but like (laughs) people talk about Gerald Gardner in ways that don't quite line up with who the man was because like, like a lot of things like a lot of Alexander's bullshit gets like tacked on to Gardner, right? Like Gardner liked mm-hmm. to get naked at parties, but he wasn't like showing up naked with film crews. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if Carol Gardner wanted to be important, but he like, I believe that Gerald Gardner genuinely believed in his ideas, right? Like it's, I, I don't, you know, it's, I think that he, he knew he wasn't doing something ancient. I think he, in many ways, may have convinced himself that he was doing the right thing, that they were the inheritors in spirit, and so it was okay to say they were the inheritors literally. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, like, these are complex figures. Like, and likewise, though, we tend to, like, look at Doreen Valiente as this wonderful figure. Like, she wrote the Charge of the Goddess and, the, the, like, you know, wrote the Reed and all of this stuff. And she got, she came in as the hero to the story. Like, oh, like, you know, Gardner's like, ah, I'm super horny. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm making a religion. And, you know, and, and Doreen Valiente going like, oh, but I'm so great. And I'm here to save the, the idea of this religion that this flawed man has come up with. And I'm perfect. And, like, none of this is true. 
Like, <laughs> these are all, like, Gerald Gardner had a good side. Like, Doreen Valiente constantly said that even after her falling out with Gardner was that Gerald was a remarkable man. That is mm -hmm. a direct quote. Uh, that is, that is, uh, like, it's, she still admired him and he took her ideas and said, this is better when she said we should use these. Like, all of these are human beings. They are not, none of these people are evil. They are, none of these people are saints. Like, the, there is this idea that, and I think we, we like to look at things in black and white. These are the good people. These are the bad people. This is what's right. And this is what is wrong. And while there are some things in life that you can draw to those lines, like doing things without someone's consent, and, you know, blah, 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 like obviously there are some firm absolutes in, in the world, but there are very few of them. It's, mm -hmm. They are a small thing, and absolutely no human being lies exactly in those absolutes. Um, everyone's a shade of gray. Everyone's somewhere in the middle. And where, how, where you are in any direction, that's what varies on the person, and we're all doing our fucking best. And so, exactly. like, it's, there is a habit for all of us. So while we say Margaret fucking Murray, we do so in frustration, with a great woman fucking up so badly. Like, it's, <laughs> that's what that is. That is a, god damn it, not this bullshit again. Not mm -hmm. a, this person was evil and bad. And, like, they are, you know, we are not trying to cast anyone as the villain in our story because there are no villains. There are just players who just fucked up and rolled a nat one. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's not. Oh, you, you know, have failed Margaret your insight. Fucking Murray is a, is a horrible person. It's oh, please tell me they're not quoting Margaret fucking Murray again. Right. Right. Yeah. It's we blame modern people for going like, oh, no, no, no. You have failed your history check. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Nat one on yeah. history and the religion. Yeah. You failed. <laughs> so, yeah, it's you have feet for hands. <laughs> Let's keep that nuance in our brains. <laughs> nuance is good. If you're not comfortable with nuance and shades of gray, maybe uh, pick up golf instead of witchcraft. <laughs> exactly. You get to be outside still? <laughs> I don't think they let you be naked on the course, though. You know... Some clubs, maybe. I'm 100% I'm certain that some naturists have started a golf course, and you can find it if you look hard enough. I mean... It's probably in like somewhere in the southern part of the country, probably. or maybe California. California, California. Oh, California! I'm 100 percent sure. certain you can find a naturist-friendly uh, golf course somewhere in the American Southwest. <laughs> I believe it. I fully believe it. <sighs> okay, nude golf seems like a good note to end on. <laughs> uh, to be fair, Gerald so, Gardner yeah. would probably be like, "Awesome." Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I think Jerry would have been a huge fan of that golf course that uh, some group wanted to turn into a sex forest. Did you hear about that one? I'm sure at some point I did, but... <laughs> oh, it was, it was a whole fun thing. Uh, there was an article that actually went around uh, on, on, on Tumblr a while ago uh, linking to, you know, the proposal this group had made. That, like, oh, is this, oh. Old, uh, this old golf course that, you know, needs to be repurposed. Let's make it a sex forest. 
And yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like, you know what? I think Jerry would approve. I think Gerald Gardner was horny, but I think that we get a lot of like, there's a lot of ascription to the like guy liked to be naked with guy wanted to put his penis in everything. And yeah, that's, some people just I don't mean, like I think like, don't get me wrong. I think Gerald Gardner probably like, I've never met the man. I'm, I'm just guessing that he liked to put his penis places that people let him like <laughs> it's, I don't, I don't think that's wrong, but I also think that he just also liked to be naked a lot. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So well, it's come uh, up with some of the ideas for Wicca at a nudist retreat. Uh, the, the wheel of the year. Yeah. There's him and Ross Nichols at uh, the founder of the like big druid group. Uh, uh, I always get the full name wrong if I'm not reading it, but yeah, it's uh, they 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 it, the the story is that they came up with the wheel of the year at a nudist retreat, mm-hmm. just like hanging out, talking Literally. about how they wanted to do more. <laughs> hey, oh, uh, talking about how they like pretty much wanted to have more parties. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's where the the two of them came up with the wheel of the year, and that's why like the wheel of the year is a thing that is Wiccans do, but is not owned exclusively by Wiccans because uh, it was come up came up with by you know a Wiccan and a Druid uh, came up with it together, taking the four. Uh, Celtic fire festivals um, using the largely Irish dates and names, and then um, the uh, then the the the, uh, the astronomical equinoxes and solstices and putting them together, um, just so like you know because yeah it's uh, Nichols wanted the um, the fire festivals and Gardner proposed the uh, the season changes and then they put the jelly in the peanut butter. And uh, we got the Wheel of the Year, which is why, but that's why, like, since not even all Druids, like, think it was a good idea, it became largely a Wiccan thing, but it does mean that it is open if you want it, but also you don't have to take it. <laughs> exactly. And if you want more information about the Wheel of the Year, uh, you can go back and listen to a few different episodes of uh, of BS Through Witchcraft, which is a fabulous show. Yeah. And if you're not following it already, what what are you waiting for? It's amazing. You know, this, this it's whole thing would have been better. Listen. This whole <laughs> thing would have been better if Margaret Murray had just asked the question, "Am I right?" and done some <laughs> little more research. And there's a great episode on doubt. That came out in I don't know when this episode's coming out, but in in June of 2023 about how doubt is good and yes. how you should question and critically analyze your ideas. Everyone, go listen to that. Exactly. <laughs> com, or you can follow me on TikTok at t r a e g o r n. You can follow me on Tumblr, uh, which is my big, the social network I'm most active on is Tumblr, which is t r a e g o r n dot com. I still say my URL like that. Tumblr can't make me say it any other way. Um, I technically have a Twitter, but I don't fuck it. Uh, and who knows by the time this episode comes out, whether or not I will have gotten my blue sky invite, but I don't know. Uh, and if you want to follow my, uh, if you want to follow me on Facebook, um, my Facebook page for BS free witchcraft is facebook.com slash BS free witchcraft and BS free witchcraft is available on both every major podcast application, um, from Spotify to, uh, Google to Pandora to Apple Podcasts. It's also available on YouTube in video form where uh, we, we, we've we been releasing episodes on YouTube for a while, but now we do them as videos, and you can see my stupid face while I say these stupid words. 
which is an absolute joy. You know, Trey may downplay themselves, but they are a very fun, engaging, and animated speaker. They always seem to sell themselves short, but they are a joy to watch. I'm Midwestern. And darling, you are intelligent. Look, I was talking about this with my wife last night. If I say something, if I say that wasn't bad, it means I think it's fucking amazing. If I say it's not great, it means it's awful. Like, it's, this is the way I talk. Because I said, well, that's not bad. And she says, what do you mean not bad? It's all, it's, it's, I'm like, honey, you've been married to me for 13 years. This is the way I speak. Well, still, you you just you deserve your roses. So please do go make sure that you follow BS Tree Witchcraft anywhere and everywhere, and uh, say hi because we love it when you know people say hello. Oh, and go to nerdandtie.com/discord to get an invite to the Discord where you can just talk us. to us and you can see what happens like when we talk to you. Mm-hmm. It's amazing because oh, we yeah. are human beings who are dynamic and full of sides that you don't see in these podcast episodes. And you can be exposed to the terrible truth about all of us on the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network Discord. Because both of these shows are a part of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network at nerdandtie.com, where you can find amazing shows from actual play to true crime to witchcraft uh, to Star Trek and uh, so many, so many great shows. Uh, you know, I have to say, that like one of my favorite shows that we've been putting out lately is the third season of The Meat Grinder, uh, which <laughs> is an actual play show that we produce with uh, the cast of Stormwind Associates and a couple other people who uh, a couple other players who come in and we play characters. Uh, the characters are played who die all the time. It's an actual play co- podcast where a character dies. They get off of the table and another character walks into the room and uh characters cycle in and uh it is it is fun um in season two we had a full total party kill where the entire party got killed and then a whole new set of adventurers walked down the path uh it's every it's an anthology series so every season is its own thing you don't have to listen to any prior season to listen to the current one uh and each season's only like nine episodes long so it is it is short it is fun um Season two also features uh, Sean Kors of Famicom Dojo, another great podcast on the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Nerdandtie.com. It's a great place. We have visit. a network. <laughs> yes. And they give Hex Positive a home, for which I am always grateful. Yes. You, you are oh. currently listening to a Nerd and Tie podcast. <laughs> Did we mention the Nerd and Tie Network? Nerd and Tie. Oh, you can follow on Tumblr. You can follow nerdandtie.tumblr.com. Technically, we can follow Nerd and Tie on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdandtie. And you can follow it on Twitter at, this is the only active Twitter account as far as I know. Well, it's not true. There's some of the other shows have active Twitter still, but uh, the Nerd and Tie Twitter account does post every time a new show comes out at uh, Twitter slash Nerd and Tie. Uh, and again, Discord, where you can talk to all the hosts of all your favorite shows. Um, yeah. There we go. I, think, I can plug I think so we hard. Back to the beginning. Yes. I plug hard, plug well. baby. <laughs> There's a reason I give myself like a full five minutes at the end of every BS3 Witchcraft with a plug. Oh, I mean, yeah. You got to plug. You got to plug. All right. Well, that does it for this month, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. She did a second take. (laughs) This is not the first take.
Thank you, Trey, for joining me because I and I am doing a second take because I said something that sounded weird. And you <laughs> might hear you might hear it if you go to patreon.com slash Garen. I may post an outtake one day. We'll see. I keep promising and I'm going to do it. I swear, because, oh, boy, oh, there's, I did there's a whole, a whole that, lot of cussing on these takes. <laughs> there's a whole alternate episode recorded that I don't know that uh, the doubt episode. Uh, yeah. I recorded a whole version of the episode and I hated it. So I re-recorded the whole thing. And there so I have a video of the entire first take of the episode that um, I may put on my Patreon at some point. I haven't yet. Maybe I'll just find good clips, but it because I didn't put it out as the episode for a reason. There you go. <laughs> oh, outtakes, anyway. for, outtakes for a reason. Bad takes are bad takes for a reason. Yes. You don't necessarily want to see them. Exactly. <sighs> but if you want more madness like this, please do tune in next month for more Hex Positive. Uh, until then, I am your host, Brina Garen. This is my podcast, Senpai Trey Dorn. And remember, stay safe, hydrate, do your damn homework, and always practice safe Hex. I should have derailed more in your outro. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at, at Brina Garen on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hacks.